Hey folks, welcome back to Can't Teach Size. Holy smokes, it feels like a while since I've said that, but uh, but here we are. My name is Les, I'm one of your regular hosts, and we're back. We have some stuff to talk about. Obviously, we've been on hiatus for a little bit. A lot of you know us from over at Game Over and, you know, the circumstances around that and, and whatnot. So lots lots of changes going on over here at Can't Teach Size, but nonetheless, we're back. Because the Jets fans have stuff to talk about today. So we're going to break down the Sean Monaghan trade that's officially been announced today, Montreal and Winnipeg. So who better than your favorite Jets and Habs fans coming here to talk about it? So I'm joined by my regular co-host Brady today. Uh, we're going to be back here doing lots of content over the next little bit. And we're joined by a special guest who better to kick off the Can't Teach Size reboot than um, our, I guess, weird to call you former boss, but um, <laughs> current friend, um, uh, Andrew Berkshire. Andrew, how are you doing today? Good. I mean, it's always good when a former boss is still a friend, right? That's a rare situation. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. And you can definitely say the same for a lot of the team over there at, at Game Over. We're all still super tight, which is great. So that means we got lots of people to uh, to pull from when things happen within the Canadian markets, which some clearly happened today. Brady, tell the people what uh, why we're here. Oh, boy. I mean, uh, obviously, uh, as the title will list, uh, the Winnipeg Jets have traded for Jonathan Monathan, uh, Sean Monahan from the, uh, the the Montreal Canadiens, obviously why Andrew's here. Uh, they trade the first round pick for next year's draft, the 2024 draft, as well as a conditional 2027 third round pick. Uh, the Big condition year. being if the Jets win the cup, I really hope we get to, you know, give that one up. But uh, a very interesting morning here uh, in Jets land, uh, a very... I don't know. It's 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 it seems like not everyone is super duper excited on it. Uh, I would love to hear what your guys. Obviously, Andrew has the the Hab side of things. Uh, I'm sure he's pretty happy with the return, but uh, I want to know what you guys think. General thoughts on the trade to start with. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, the the conclusion I've kind of jumped to is that uh, first of all, I don't think anyone necessarily auto wins versus the other team losing i think both teams have the potential to really benefit from this trade i think if you want to go clear winner clear loser you could probably give the nod to the montreal canadians but i do think depending on how the next 35 games and then some hopefully of sean monaghan go could turn out that the jets really benefit from this trade as well um i i'm gonna throw it to andrew um to really dive into who that player is for those of us jets fans especially since he left the western conference i feel like my first-hand sample of Sean Monaghan is probably not at its prime um, for the time. So Andrew's going to dive into that specifically a little bit later. But before we get into like the specifics of the player and what he's going to do for the team, um, I'm, I'm just curious, um, and maybe Andrew, I'll throw it to you for this part here. As far as just the paper transaction, the first and the conditional third for the player, uh, for one of the only centers that the <laughs> Montreal Canadiens have right now, um, a guy who's on a, a prove it sort of year um what did you think of this transaction and how it makes sense for both teams i mean it, it's a huge win for the montreal canadians from multiple avenues right um they were already paid a first round pick to take sean monahan in a salary dump uh, in the summer of 2022 i think and he's been a, a really good player for the canadians uh you know went out for the year with injury last year relatively early on but was one of their best players before he went down signed a really nice bargain contract that frankly facilitated the ability to make a trade like this uh, over the summer and has been at worst the Canadians fourth best forward this season 
Uh, I think overall, if, you know, Kirby Doc was healthy, he'd probably be the fifth best forward. Uh, or you could argue maybe Slavkovsky is below Monaghan overall, but I think he's starting to edge a little bit higher than, than Monaghan as the time goes on. But this is a player who I think a lot of people are going to be surprised by when you start seeing him up close game to game. You know, it, I think we're in this time of hockey discourse where, I feel like Twitter used to be you would post an article about somebody and then you'd go and there'd be charts in, but there'd be like context and analysis in an article. And now people just throw a chart up there and they're like, see, this guy sucks or like this guy's awesome. <laughs> and I think whenever you're dealing with players like a Sean Monaghan, who is a depth piece for a contender or an important piece for a bad team, you're going to see holes in their game on a chart and think, well, okay, that's going to be hard to deal with. But at the very least, from the Jets' perspective, they're used to covering for a center who doesn't do much defensively, right? So I feel <laughs> like he'll fit in pretty well there. And uh, I, I think he's one of those guys that the numbers defensively don't look good. But if you put it in the context of who he was playing with, they're not as bad as people think. And also, even though his career numbers defensively aren't very good, when you watch him in the game, what you'll continue to notice is that it's not like he's making really bad reads or bad misplays uh, defensively. He's not that guy who's costing you on the big plays. He's just you know, not the best defensive player. He, he has holes in his game for sure. But if you insulate him like the Jets are able to with really good wingers, I don't think he's going to be a defensive liability at all. He, he's one of those guys that... His toolkit is very much about slowing the game down and making good plays. And it's when the game gets too fast for him or he's not able to uh, have someone to give an outlet to, that's when he really gets in trouble. So I think the Jets are honestly a really good fit for Sean Monaghan. And I think both teams are going to end up feeling like winners out of this. Who who was he playing with uh, in Montreal, just to give a little more context? So it's been a rotating cast uh, outside of Suzuki and Caulfield and Slavkovsky over the last couple of months. There hasn't really been a line that's stuck together for very long. Uh, I think his most common line mate this year is still Josh Anderson. Might be UL Armia. Him and Armia actually played really, really well together over the last couple of months here. I think Monaghan has like 20 points in his last 24 games or something like that with Armia and with, on the power play. Obviously, he won't put up that much power play production in the Jets. He's not going to be in the top spot, but well, very, very smart power play player. Um, he, he's just, when you're playing with Josh Anderson, I think this is the big thing that people need to understand who are down on Monaghan <laughs> defensively. Like, go to Natural Stat Trick and run a simple Wowie. And I know Wowies aren't like the be-all, end-all of player analysis nowadays. And like they have their own faults too, because you're not accounting for who they're playing with when they're away from said player. But with Monahan or with uh, Josh Anderson, the, that uh, Sean Monahan is negative six point two percent expected goals for percentage on the Canadians, and without Josh Anderson, he's plus two point seven six percent. Like it's this huge swing. Like Monahan without Anderson. Uh, in terms of expected goals against, yeah, he, he's worse than team average. You're giving up an extra like 0.3 goals per 60 minutes. With Anderson, it's over 0.5, and Anderson by himself is like almost an extra one. Like he's mm -hmm. just such a black hole defensively that I don't think people realize how much he brings down other centers. And when you don't have Josh Anderson 
playing with Suzuki and Caulfield, which he did for large stretches last year. And he ends up getting stuck with the other centers who aren't Nick Suzuki, who can't carry the bag. It, it just is bad. It is really ugly. So I, I think Monaghan's in a really good situation here because you're going to notice the things that he's really good at. And what he's good at, frankly, is just making the game a little bit easier on his wingers. Uh, not through defense necessarily, but through puck control, uh, winning puck battles along the boards. He's not like overly physical, but he's smart physical. Where like mm-hmm. sometimes he just steps in at the right times and, and wins pucks and extends uh, offensive zone possessions. He's an underrated passer, especially in that bumper spot. Like he is able to just create time where you think he has no time and he holds onto the puck way longer than you think a player ever should. But it's it usually ends up in a really smart play. Unfortunately, in Montreal, outside of the power play, he's passing to UL Armia, who's having a good season for UL Armia, but is a maximum like 15 goal per season guy. Or Josh Anderson, who was ice cold all year and also like doesn't know how to accept a pass or make a pass. He's just a straight line. If I get a breakaway, I might do something. Otherwise, nothing's going to ever, ever happen. Uh, he had some chemistry with Newhook for a bit, but Newhook's out injured too. Like the mm-hmm. Montreal Canadiens are a wild ride, folks. Like there's really not much there to work with for him. Even I think he worked really well with Brendan Gallagher by the underlying numbers. But Brennan Gallagher has like an 880 PDO this year. It, it's nuts. <laughs> he's like unlucky. Yeah, he's wildly unlucky. Like part of it's injury. Like his injury history is crazy. But like he can't get the puck to go in for him or his line mates. And every time he's on the ice, he'll do the right thing and just goes right in. It's crazy. For sure. Um, I, I know you joked about, oh, you know, he probably won't be helping, uh, you know, the Jets on the at least on the first power play. But uh, hold your horses. You don't know Please that do. um, because <laughs> our first power play is dog shit. It is bad. Really? It, it is terrible. Um, and and <laughs> and we've had Alex I follow on it. We've had we've had players there who certainly can be usurped. It depends really on it. You know, once the Jets are fully healthy, if they do really want to roll, uh, you know, with the ideal top five players, which probably doesn't include Monaghan and includes Nikolai Ehlers. Um, right. But who knows? They might do the whole split power play thing. But um, I want to come back to the value on the trade because we we definitely discussed. Uh, you gave a bit of a sales pitch to, you know, why, you know, Jets fans might shouldn't be as, uh, you know, concerned about this trade. Um, but there definitely has been a lot of um, discourse regarding on if this was the right move to make. Uh, while I will say that a lot of the things that you said definitely give me a little bit more solace, um, considering, you know, the, as a team, the Jets have been really good defensively this year. So, I mean, obviously, you don't want to take away from your weakness to address, or sorry, you don't want to take away from your strength to ad- address a, a, a weakness. But uh, I'm still pretty confident that they'll be good defensively, um, oh, yeah. Even with the addition. And at very worst, you always have Connor Hallibuck, the best goalie in the world behind. So uh, it is what it is. But I I think I think where the 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 frustration on Jets fans uh, on this trade from Jets fans comes from uh, is just the usage of the assets, because, you know, I I, I saw people, you know, in, in the comments under the trade uh, that when the Jets posted being like, you know, this is a big price to pay for this player and, and people defending it going, oh, well, the Jets never really picked that well, you know, in in the, you know, back end of the first round, uh, you know, the Jets uh Whatever, whatever uh, thing. But the issue for me personally is it's just like I feel like these assets could have been used 
better. Like, I feel like there were other options that the Jets could have gone for. If you wanted to get a player, I would say in the same caliber as Sean Monaghan, I think like an Adam Henrique might have been an option who probably would have been cheaper, I would guess. Um, You know, if you really want to swing for the fences, you could have, you know, tried a little bit more for for, you know, Elias Lindholm. Uh, Claude Giroux is always an option that uh, made player or many Jets fans have, have brought up. Uh, Pavel Buchnevich, the list goes on and on. Um, but now the Jets kind of don't have their first round pick. Of course, they do have a lot of prospects in the cupboard still that they can use as trade assets. Um, and also the, 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 the cap situation isn't as bleak as it seems. So I was looking at it really quickly just to see kind of where they're at. Um, and if you look at the, you know, just the little summary that cap friendly has, uh, it'll say that they have a projected cap space of about 700,000, um, which is obviously not true. That's not how the cap works. Their, their deadline cap space is still 3.2, uh, 3.3 potentially, uh, million. So they still have options to, you know, potentially go out and improve on the defense, uh, maybe add another winger in the, in the top, uh, you know, in the top nine of, uh, for the forwards. Um, so yeah, so that's, I, I just wanted to get that out there because I feel like that's where the, the frustration, cause I've seen a lot of people frustrated on it. And, um, I think it's important to give kind of the both sides of it. Cause, uh, while we hear a lot of things about how this was a good trade, uh, in regards to addressing certain things that the Jets need, because the Jets do improve at the end of the day. That's, that's the biggest thing in my, in my opinion, I look at this as a trade where I'm, not excited on the, you know, the, the opportunity or like the, the roster spot being given, you know, to that guy for, and, and the assets spent, but at the end of the day, the jets are a better team. And I think that that is what is important to look at with this trade. And they still do have the assets to go ahead and make another deal. If you want to look at like a, a, a Chris Tanev, uh, a, <laughs> which I feel like now, now that we've gotten our, a forward, I, obviously we could still use, uh, some, some improvement on the forward end, but, uh, I, I would look at that guy as a potential improvement on the D as well. Yeah. yeah I, uh, I, I kind of want to push back on you a little bit on, cause my thing is like this, this trade comes into question with the assets and the piece like there are the, there are the two things to look at and personally my question marks are more on the piece than on the assets these assets are nothing to me and i genuinely believe it like you said the conditional third is a complete write-off if the jets win the stanley cup they could have traded three first round picks and i don't care because all i want them to do is win a stanley cup so that one yeah. I, is not even a conversation piece for me and the thing is we already have the montreal second round pick which like is is you basically know, a first it, round pick <laughs> yeah, and, and and the Jets' third first round pick is likely going to be closer to thirty than it is going to be to middle of the pack and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And I just I can't be bothered to lose sleep over an asset that is a lottery pick that could possibly help you in four years. I am so unworried about four years from now. Like I I really need this team to do something right now. So the idea of giving up these sorts of assets. Like, I feel like every time a team makes a trade, you're like, Oh, I didn't want to give up that. Oh, I didn't want to give up that. The way trades work is you give up something of value. That's just the only way that they can happen. And I, I don't value this first round pick almost at all. I keeping it in your pocket to trade for a different piece. That's the conversation I care about. That's um, what I'm as getting far at. As like what, what the value is for like, cause this player, I'm not sold on. I need to watch a lot more video over the course of this weekend. I need to, to, you know, listen to more people like Andrew and stuff like that and get a better insight on the player. Cause that's what I'm not sold on. If the player 
turns out to be slightly net positive uh, the first round pick is I, I i don't really care that much and i think we'll probably move in a little bit to talk about what it does for the jets and a couple other like adjacent pieces that might improve because of him we could talk about the face-offs the line matchups and stuff like that i'm sure we'll do that to close out the episode um but andrew like what is kind of on your end like we we in winnipeg are a little bit i don't know when it comes to our gm um he hasn't made any moves ever um that have made me go i don't like this guy it's more the lack of moves that have frustrated jets fans but in the last little bit he's done a ton that has been really good um but he's never made a trade for the piece at the trade deadline last year it was not timo meyer it was a nino niederreiter who no one thought was really even on the trading block it was you know the, the paul stassi's like he makes the other trades and this Sean Monaghan has been a talking point. He's, he was up there with the um, Elias Lindholm conversation pieces for guys that contending teams would want to bring in. And I don't know if they've ever done that before. I don't know. Maybe if you want to give us a little bit more of an objective lens on, on kind of what your thoughts are on just kind of the overarching part of it all. Yeah. I I think there's lots of factors to consider for the jets, right? I think with the Elias or Elias Lindholm uh, trade, there's the two camps of people the way that they view it, right? There's the people who see Andre Kuzmenko as a top six guy who can score 35 goals, 40 goals in a hot shooting season. And there's a guy, people who see him as just a pure cap dump. And that's like the other pieces are bigger because they're taking the cap dump of Kuzmenko. So there's, there's that to consider on there. But I, I look at the amount of pieces that Vancouver gave up for Lindholm and the season that Lindholm is having. And I know he's had several good years before that, but Lindholm was a guy back when I worked at sport logic, where when he first started like breaking out with the flames, they were like, Oh, do a report on Elias Lindholm. Look at like all his underlying stats and like figure out what's driving this. And I was like, looking, looking. And like three days later, I was like, there's, there's nothing. It's Mac. Chuck. <laughs> there's nothing <laughs> like he's, he's just a guy in the perfect situation. And once that perfect situation disappeared in Calgary, he's been awful. And Monaghan, maybe you could say that same thing about playing with the Johnny Gaudreau in Calgary, but he's now fit into a different team in Montreal. I think he's also a leader. He's one of those guys who's just, I know it's overestimated in hockey discussions, but he is legitimately good in the room. I think he's especially good with young players. So, I think putting him with Cole Perfetti, I wouldn't be surprised to see Perfetti start uh, putting some pucks in the net that Sean Monahan feeds to him. He really likes passing to young kids. Don't know why, but I'll uh, take it. Yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, the veteran guy who looks for the kids is always a good thing to have in the room, right? I think that there, there's like there's always an argument in Montreal. Mike Matheson is on the power play and he never really passes to Slavkovsky and no one can really figure out why. But Monahan likes to pass to Slavkovsky and sets him up for for shots and, and good scoring chances very often. So it's always like, hey, how come this other veteran doesn't pass to the young kid? And I think having a guy who, you know, brings that team building environment helps, especially when you're looking to to build towards winning a Stanley Cup. And, you know, the Jets have injuries down the middle right now too. So we can't discount how much having a good NHL center down the middle will help them in their jockeying for position down the stretch, right? As they're waiting for the the reinforcements to come. I, I think the salary is such a big deal because yeah, you trade a first round pick, but the Jets have a pretty decent stable of good prospects, especially at forward, that they can kind of afford 
to leverage the future a little bit here for the players who are here now without having to sacrifice too much so that those reinforcements over the next couple of years aren't coming into an empty team, right? Like they have a, a really good setup here going forward. So I think it makes sense that they can add Sean Monahan and they still have enough space to add someone else, which they couldn't necessarily do with Henrique without taking uh, like some sort of, uh, holding salary back from Anaheim, right? Which then you're probably paying more to uh, get them to hold back that salary. I didn't realize Henrik's making almost $6 million against the cap this year. And Lindholm, again, they had to take salary back to make that work, right? So I I do think the contract that Monaghan's on is a big reason why the, the return is relatively high. But also, I mean, centers that move at the deadline who are more than fourth liners – it's usually a bigger package, right? Stonks it's like centers to the moon, and yeah. Hundred percent. <laughs> I want to point out this um this Chase McCallum tweet that I saw earlier today. That was so funny. Um, based on your your earlier point, that was uh Monahan and Lindholm being dealt a day apart for big returns is funny to me because the Lindholm deal only makes sense if you essentially ignore this season and mostly look at prior seasons, and the Monahan deal only makes sense if you ignore prior seasons and only look at this one, <laughs> which I think is is very conducive to kind of the point that you were making um about Lindholm before but the Jets as a whole I feel like like you know you mentioned the whole good in the room piece any Jets fan like I'm sure every team has their own kind of like lore with with the good in the room and the vibes and all that but the Jets, Jets fans, have some serious lore. oh, they do. oh <laughs> yeah no and I feel like the Jets have kind of overcorrected on it this year but I I'm not going to talk bad about it because it's worked out extremely well for them. I've never seen the vibes being so good around this team. And I think this team is absolutely mortified of trading for a lack of better terms, an asshole. Um, So the fact that both flames and Habs fans, two of the most disgruntled fan bases I've ever met in my life are like, take care of our sweet Prince um, is a very good sign to me. And yeah. And with, with the whole like vibes thing, like the reason why they kept always trying to get vibes players at the deadline, the Matt Hendricks of the world uh, was because there was actively negative vibes in the room. Now, now we have good vibes in the room and we're just adding to it. So at very least, like I, I can look at this and go, hey, you know, it, especially with that, that that definitely no matter what, no matter I, I'm I'm an analytical person. The reality is I've also played hockey. I know what I know what vibes in the room is. You 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 do need yep. it. And also, like again, it's really interesting to to kind of take a step back from uh because like this morning I was, you know, going crazy on Twitter. It, and when the opportunity presents itself, you gotta go a little little a little oh, wild. Yeah. Um, but then I also take a step back and I remember, you know, the the Blackhawks traded a first round pick for Antoine Vermette one year. So <sighs> Yep. What? And really? they won and they won the cup that year. Yep. They that was in <laughs> that was in 2015. Uh, oh God. the Florida Panthers traded an unprotected first round pick for the following <laughs> season for Ben Sherratt. And they nearly missed the playoffs. They were literally oh. one point away. And it was be- the only reason they made the playoffs is because the Pittsburgh Penguins lost to the Chicago Blackhawks. I thought it, yeah, for or Columbus- for Bernard. Yes. yes. Yep. That was just uh. the greatest, like crap storm day i remember that so vividly because and again jets fans anything with ben sherrod we're set like we're set we're ready we're ready to watch and it was it was ben sherrod was about to handicap paul maurice so it was really just it was it was supposed to be our christmas but it it didn't work (laughs) (laughs) it's crazy Um, it was the following year that they ended up going to the stanley cup final barely making the playoffs yeah i yeah well just win baby just get in or whatever the stupid term is there but um you mentioned before 
Sean Monahan that um, he likes to pass to kids. And you mentioned the CP name. Um, and that's something I think I think we got to dive into that a little bit. Um, it's the whole the whole concept of, OK, um, you know, w- with Dylan DeMello, Dylan DeMello is a player with a three million dollar cap hit. Um, but he also brings a $9 million player out of Josh Morrissey. So what kind of value is a player like that? And that's a kind of conversation piece that's always really important to have about players when they come in. Brady, I think it's pretty clear that this is a player they want to slot as their second line center. Vlad Nemesikov, thank you for your service, but they're kind of, you know, ready to to plug him in there yeah. and you put the quotation marks because we never really know who's the second line when it comes to Adam Lowry and, and company versus Nikolai Ehlers and company also. Mm-hmm. Um, but what do you think this is going to do? Um, well, first maybe tell me what you think the line combinations are going to look like. This one might not be as creative as an answer, but then tell like, what do you think is going to be kind of the trickle down result of all this and how it's going to fit into the the puzzle that is the Winnipeg Jets offense right now? Yeah, I I think I think the 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 line setup is pretty clear. The, uh, we all know that the Jets have been wanting to, or Rick Bonus has been wanting to put Connor Shifley and Velarde together since the start of the year. It seems like whenever Rick Bonus has a, a specific line, a specific first line he wants to put together, it always gets hampered by injuries. Um, he's also only been our coach for two years, so maybe it's not an always thing. It's just uh, it happened twice. Um, which is more than you would expect, but it's weird that it happened twice. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think the very obvious like line setup is going to be Cal Connor, Mark Shifley with Gabe Velarde, uh, and then you'll have a second line in quotes. And which is, I think, what I, I what I really want to talk about is the usage here of uh, of Cole Perfetti, Sean Monahan, and Nikolai Ehlers, um, as well as uh, Nino Niederreiter, Adam Lowry, Mason Appleton, Morgan Barron, Vlad Mestikov, and Alex Iafalo. I think that that. That's kind of the the clear, uh, you know, place that Monahan is going to slot in here um, for me. The fourth I, line looks disgusting to me. I'm so sorry. I hate it. The, the, <laughs> I don't the Jets, like it at all. The Jets uh, have had some good some good depth this year. And and that's the one thing with Monahan is he does add to it. Um, for me, really, the, the sticking point is 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 our. Are, are Perfetti, Monahan, and Ehlers going to be used like a second line, or are they going to be used like a, th- a a scoring third line? Because all year we've been saying the Perfetti, Ehlers, whatever that non-Shifley, Connor, Velarde line is, uh, we've always been saying it's the second line, despite the fact that Adam Lowry's line, and which includes Mason Appleton, uh, plays more. Plays more than them. And so for me, uh, I, I think Br- uh, Brian Johnson had had a perfect tweet to sum up exactly how I feel about this, which is uh, he said, my copium is telling myself that Ehlers and Perfetti will get more minutes because of this trade. And maybe that alone is worth the first round pick. Um that's really it. And and when it comes down to it, Rick Bonus has uh, his guys. And it seems like Centerman is really where he puts his trust in with the line. Like that is the most key important place part of uh, a forward line, which to be fair, it, it is. is. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but having Sean Monaghan also one of the key points is he is good at faceoffs. Whatever you think about faceoffs and the, and the value of them, um, Rick Bonus thinks that it's important. So uh, Sean Monaghan is a good faceoff player, which means that he is more likely to trust this line with Perfetti and Ehlers. And thus, I think that this hopefully will result in more minutes for both Nikolai Ehlers and Cole Perfetti, giving them maybe two scoring, uh, you know, lines uh, to have. You know, they might still end up beating up on the other the opponent's third line because Lowry gets, you know, tasked with taking the 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 shutdown role on the big uh, the, the opponent's big line. 
Don't um, care. Give it to him. <laughs> but really, it, it truly comes down to how bonus views Monahan. I would assume that you know Chevy did his due diligence before training for him and and asked him what he thinks. Um, but if this is a guy that that Bones trusts, I see this as actually working out decently well for the Jets in the sense of you're going to get more Nikolai Ehlers and more Cole Perfetti, which uh, I don't know why, but Rick Bonus he just keeps coming out to the media and saying, you know, I got to find more minutes for these guys. And it's like, dog. Who's in charge it's of like the minutes? Joe, it's like when Joe Biden makes a tweet that's like, we need gun control now. It's like, who are you talking to? <laughs> but, <laughs> if um, only no, you could I, do something about this. Yeah, only, we're all trying to find the guy who did we're this. We're all trying to find the guy who did this. <laughs> no, but yeah, that's um, like the face-off piece is that that's an ongoing discourse because obviously that that's a huge point of contention. And, and my thing is this, like, listen, I, I will always take a player who is better at face-offs than worse at face-offs. Just like I will always take a player who's better at scoring goals than not scoring goals and all those kinds of things. But my issue was always when it came at the expense of other things, it's like, Oh, I want to take away a guy who's better at where 98% of the game is played for someone who can jump on and win a face off. I, I didn't like that idea. I think that's a, a dumb idea. Frankly, I think you need to focus on where most of the game is played, which is at five on five in all three zones. And if a player, they need to be net positive there. If they can come on and win you a face off great, but if they're a black hole, as soon as, the play is happening. I don't want them on my team. I'd rather lose the face off and take the chance at getting the puck back than having a guaranteed, you know, problem with you out there. However, I kind of walk back on that argument a little bit when it comes to face offs on special teams. Yes. Um, Andrew, what do you think of that? And also, what do you think Sean Monahan can do for the Jets in those circumstances? I, I know you mentioned we talked about a bit about the power play. Does he kill penalties at all? I don't know if I'd want him to, especially if he's not the greatest defensively and not a fast player. Those are the two things that are important, I think, on penalty killing forwards at the top of the circle. Um, what do you think of, of the faceoff situation, especially at uh, not at even strength? I think, honestly, he adds a lot of value there because it's not like Manny Malhotra where you're throwing him out there for a faceoff <laughs> and like run to the bench with your canoe paddle for a stick that you don't use to do anything else but knock pucks out of the air. Uh, Monahan, I don't think he's a great penalty killer, but he can take a shift and not hurt you. And that allows him to be a guy who like, if you desperately need a face off win, if, if you guys, if you have players out there, your, your key guys who are just bagged and you've got like 12 seconds left in a penalty kill, you can throw them out there knowing that you're going to be able to get that zone clearance a good majority of the time. Power play, same thing. Even if you don't want him on your top unit, if you want to throw it an extra center out there to make sure that you, if you get waved out, you can bring in Monaghan to win the puck and then he doesn't have to run to the bench right away. He can be part of that power play unit, right? So I think he adds a lot of versatility that a lot of so-called like face-off only guys don't necessarily. It, I think what interests me so much about Monaghan is he is a complimentary player at this stage. Like I don't expect him to be a play driver, but if you put him with other good players, he'll give you good results. Like he's not a guy that's going to stand out and hurt you defensively, even if he's not carrying the bag defensively. He's in that weird middle, right? Where like he could have terrible defensive results and he could be around team average. He's not going to suddenly become the best defensive player in the world, but he goes out there. He'll try to shot block with his face if he needs to on the PK, but uh you don't want him out there all the time. You don't want him getting bagged. Although he has been pretty good shorthanded, honestly, in terms of creating chances. But uh, yeah, I, I think he adds a lot of value. He's a smart player. I think that's what you're going to notice more than anything, is especially with the puck. He's very smart, putting it into good places, good like area passes kind of thing. He does creative things that 
like uh, keyed in hockey people like yourselves will notice and be like, oh, I kind of like that guy. Okay. Okay. Well, I, I like the sales pitch. I, I, I will say yeah. you are winning me over a lot more <laughs> this morning. I, I one was... last, one last sales pitch to make uh, Alyssa a little bit upset. Uh Oh, he is wildly outproducing on a much worse team. Pierre Luc Dubois. They you know oh, even strength I points. am outproducing Pierre Luc Dubois at this point on an NHL team. <laughs> I know it's not a high bar, but he's like, say, he's significantly he got fired today. <laughs> uh, to to that I'll say I saw a tweet today that was like the Jets just traded for a guy who has less five v five points in the past three years than Justin Hall and Luke Shen. <laughs> he barely played the last three years i think people have to remember this guy went through a double hip replacement like his career yeah when the canadians traded for him everyone thought it was over so i think that's another reason why i root for him is he's a guy who in his late 20s was dealt a really raw deal by his own body right and to battle through it and come back and be an effective nhler is one of those stories that i feel like you almost need a story when you win the stanley cup of some somebody who had to tooth and nail battle their way into even being there to being a contributor. It seems like every Stanley cup winner has one of those guys. So maybe that's part of the trade too. Yeah, it'll, it will be interesting. And uh, I, I do think that he will provide value on the power play, even if it is to the second power play. He'll, 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 I think he will surprise a lot of us, but at the same time, yeah, I hope so. <laughs> I, I, I'm just worried that he's going to end up being a player who has flashes of nice things that, everyone can kind of go, Ooh, that was nice. But then we look at the bigger picture and we're kind of like a Kyle Connor, you know, like I'm just yeah, a little worried. Yeah. I'm just yeah. a little worried. Uh, but also uh, I think, I think one of the key points that you brought up was uh, his, his board play, um, which I think is going to be huge, especially playing with a guy like Cole Perfetti and yeah. Nick Ehlers, like those guys, uh, Cole Perfetti is fantastic on the board, despite being a small guy. Um, and, uh, and obviously Nick Ehlers is just a spit rocket. Like he can just, you know, as soon as he gets the puck, he can, you know, out of the zone. Um, I'm really excited to see what is going to happen. Uh, I, I I will say this past, uh, you know, 30, however long we've been going here has changed my mind. You, if if <laughs> I if I was the Steven Crowder change my mind guy. I think you did success. I think you did well, somewhat. You I Well, I, I still don't love the the, the amount you got to you got to get you got to spend money to make money. Right. So. Anyways. Yeah, I mean, at least at least you can go into it knowing the Jets didn't spend it on like a Ben Sherratt, right? Or yeah, that's a, true. A David Savard or an Antoine Vermette <laughs> or an Antoine Vermette. <laughs> it, it's somebody that at least if he's a defensive black hole, he'll still pot a few goals. And he has a habit of scoring big goals, which is a weird thing to say with the Montreal Canadiens who win like 12 games a year. But it seems like when the team is building momentum and they really need to cash on it. Monaghan is like always involved, which I, I think is one of those like hard to quantify things in part of it's just because he's one of the better players. But uh, yeah, he, he seems to always make a difference, which is good. Yeah. And that's that's you know what difference makers. That's what we need out here. So I think it's, again, the other kind of thing where the the groaner finish off only time will tell i guess there there's lots to find out in the next 35 games but um like you said brady my mom i've been a little bit more convinced i made like a tiktok today made a couple tweets didn't love it um but now I, i've been intrigued the whole time but now i'm intrigued with a little bit more hope so um obviously the all-star game 
break whatever is going on this weekend and then the Jets are back in action uh, still in a few days from now and I'm sure Sean Monaghan will draw right into the lineup for the first game so it'll be exciting to watch I'll be sad that's for sure we'll see we'll see how it goes um but yeah Andrew Brady this has been a ton of fun I'm really glad that we're back doing this sort of stuff I feel like it's been a while since I sat down and talked some hockey with some people that I really enjoy in this sort of format so this has been a really good time um Jets fans Habs fans hopefully we all walk away from this in a couple months feeling Really happy with how this trade played out for both of our teams. Um, so yeah, we make sure you follow everyone on Twitter. Brady has done a fabulous job of putting our handles up here on the screen so you can see where we're at. Um, and yeah, stay tuned because there's probably lots to come uh, from all three of us in the world of hockey. So thanks everyone for tuning in and we'll see you next time. Peace.